this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. How you doing, Jay, on this fine Wednesday evening before the NFL kicks off? I'm doing good. I'm pretty excited about football coming back and, you know, being sad on Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am uh, cautiously optimistic, but also agitated. That people keep keep picking the bills for the Super Bowl. Yeah, like I don't, I don't like that. Yeah, don't I do think that. Last, last year was your year, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. You missed your window. Oh, we missed our window. Okay, yeah. all right, thanks. Who's your team, Jay? Why are that? Why are you expecting to be sad? Oh, uh, the Cleveland Browns. See, I'm a Jets fan. <laughs> I also live in sad. Okay. There you go. <laughs> we were just talking about today. Eric Norlin is back yeah. with us for this episode. Let's introduce you. Uh, we were just talking today that we yeah. didn't realize that Joe Flacco was still in the league. We thought he had like had been That's out funny. for a year or two at least, and now he's back <laughs> with the Jets. Out, out of nowhere, I just saw the, that he was starting for the Jets, and I sent the message to Tim. I was like, I had no idea this guy still played football. We had a little, <laughs> we had a little back and forth, not knowing we'd have a Jets fan on tonight. Oh, we collect sorry. them all. <laughs> if you had told me Vinny Testaverde was playing in place of Zach Wilson, I would have been like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> he's only 58. I'm I mean, sure he's, he was always in good shape. Right? He was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was a little bit shocked by that one. But hey, I mean, the dude won a Super Bowl and with a great defense. <laughs> so. I'm sure he's got a few, you know, few, few touchdowns left in him. Maybe, I mean, or, couple, or some handoffs. <laughs> we're we're trotting out Jacoby Brissett this this week, so I can't really say anything. <laughs> I would take Joe Flacco at this point. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't let uh, what's his name go? Case Keenum. <laughs> yeah, who's now that the backup for the Bills? That would have saved us. Yeah. Eric, previously, you have joined us for episodes on the Hank Dogs, Bareback. That was in 2019. 2020 was Neutral Milk Hotels in the Aeroplane Over the Sea. And then last year, Hash by Hash. So that's three very different records. Um, Will you share now? With our audience, the album you have picked for this episode. I picked the uh, 1995 self-titled album by the band Menthol. And as we were discussing before this, you suggested this record via our very young website back in like 2013 or 2012. And we're finally getting to it. So thank you for your patience. It's only been... (laughs) Uh, nine years. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, it's sort of like uh, when when you do a Kickstarter and for a product, and you're like, 
that looks really cool. I'm going to back that. Okay, it might take us. <laughs> right, right. right. It might take us nine years to get to, to an actual but product to you. It's also right. kind of fun because then you forget you backed it. And then like four years later, all of a sudden this thing shows up in the mail. Yeah. You're like, what, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I guess I've I, done uh, that. Yeah. So how did you uh, discover this record? Uh, like most of the ones I've done with you guys, I mean, I discovered it through the initial single that had come out, which I believe was USA Capable, at least the one that I heard, which was probably on some sort of compilation. Um, and then uh, I was living in New York City at the time, you know, went to one of the St. Mark's CD places and found it uh, there. And I have subsequently over the years, because for the longest time, it wasn't on any streaming platform. It, it showed up on Spotify somewhere within the last maybe year and a half. I don't know precisely, but forever, anytime I could get my hands on a copy of that album, I would get it and I'd give them to people, which is the case with most of the records that I've done with you guys. Um, but yeah, I have spent pretty much since 1995 doling that album out to people uh who will accept it so that's that's how much i like that album jay had you listened to this i have seen the cover but i had never listened to it no i mean i remember the name it's a, it's a very 90s band name oh yeah it's one of those names you say the band's called menthol when when would they have been from <laughs> uh you're only gonna get 90s uh yeah and i, I remember the album cover as well but no had never heard the band so they actually started as a band called Mother in 1993. There was they put out their debut record called Gold Record on Mud Records, and they were based out of Champaign, Urbana, Illinois. Um, and then when they signed to Capitol Records, that's when they changed the name, because I'm guessing there had been a band called Mother or the Mothers or the Mothers of Invention <laughs> or something along those lines, and Capitol was like can we find something a little more distinctive? Right. So they change it um, when they go to Capitol, and that's how you get menthol. So this band was made up of Balthazar DeLay. He was the vocal and guitarist. Now, he had previously been in Hum before this. He was the first bass player in Hum for their 1991 album Fellatio on... 12 inch records and then he left and formed mother which later became menthol uh along with him in menthol are joel spencer on bass and vocals and colin codalace maybe on drums uh this is their only major label release famously this band's second record was like uh completely different and the record label went yeah we're not putting it out yeah. So they had it done in like, you know, a, a reasonable amount of time, but it didn't actually come out until 2002 on Hidden Agenda Records. And um, we'll get to it in the comments. But uh, they also put out, uh, there were singles for this album we're checking out. Uh, you mentioned it, USA Capable, that was released on a seven inch. It was also released on a split seven inch with um the band gene which is interesting i that's uh, what's even more interesting is menthol opened for gene uh for a while when gene came to america the first time i saw that show at the limelight in new york city and uh 
I may have been one of the few people in the crowd who was familiar with the opening band as well as Gene, because Gene was a very different animal than menthol. Right. Well, it says that the split was given away at shows was a flexi disc. Oh. And it was given away at shows for Gene's tour with menthol in 1995. Okay. So I don't think I got my hands on those. You can get them on, uh, you can get, get them on, uh, Discogs for five bucks right now. Okay. You'd like to, uh, and, uh, the, um, the other single is a, uh, seven inch with USA capable on the A side and the song, um, crystal keg people on the, uh, on the B side, which is, I believe is a non album track. Right. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, 2002, they put out their second record and then, Kaputs. Anybody, uh, or do you have, are you aware of what any of these guys are doing um, after that? I looked on Discogs, but I didn't find. I mean, I looks like Balthazar has put out some records here or there, but so I again, that's you know, he he was the one I was kind of most interested in finding out if he ever stuck with music. And for, again, for the longest time, I really couldn't find too much information about him or any of those guys. But in the last couple of years, uh, it's, you know, he has kind of resurfaced. He makes um, guitar amps now. Oh. After, yeah. And he's, there's a whole website. I think they're called Balthazar. And, um, and apparently he spent time as the guitar tech for the Smashing Pumpkins or a guitar tech for the Smashing Pumpkins. You know, I don't know if there's a Chicago connection there or not, which is, you know, I don't know how that, make, that would make sense. Yeah. But so, you know, apparently working backwards, he's doing guitar amps now. He pecked for the Smashing Pumpkins. And I think he was doing some local producing or whatnot before that. But I only found any of this information out in the last, again, maybe year and a half or so. Um, there seems to be some people still out there interested in in menthol and what became of those guys. So some some people you know figured it out or you know put two and two together that this is the same guy so go for him uh i found the website it's balthazar uh amps.com chicago uh illinois handcrafted amplification so uh you know like a boutique type uh type gear looks like you can get them at chicago music exchange and other chicago area uh stores and some other locations but uh let's get into the comments from our patreons patreons from our patrons at patreon <laughs> richard waterman said great album unlike anything in 1995 the closest comparison is molly mcguire lime but that came out a year later please do the molly mcguire lime album that's been in a poll at least once i think uh, yeah, last month, I think. It lost. <laughs> Where was your Molly Maguire love then, Richard Waterman? <laughs> yeah, you didn't lobby hard enough, Richard. <laughs> yep. You got to press the flesh over at Discord. That's where all the deal-making happens. <laughs> he said, sounds pretty unique to me for the genre at this time in the 90s. All sorts of weird lyrics and different singing voices. Sounds great with a nice drum sound, too. People should also check out the follow-up. They went in a Devo, the Cars, Prince direction. It took seven years to release and sounds quite different 
uh, to this, but still a good listen. Best track, The Ragtime, Estrados. Where the album? Nate Smith. I second the Molly Maguire Lime album. I like this album, but found myself getting fatigued after the halfway point. Singer kind of reminds me of Angie Aparo with how all over the place he is vocally, but it makes for a fun listen. Better EP for me. I don't know who Angie Aparo is. Uh, I'm going yeah, to sure. use the Google on that, or maybe Jay can while I'm reading this. Uh, Jeff Gentis said, sweet. This was a possible 12-month pick for me in the vein of I thought this was a better seven-song EP when I was 17. Has it grown into a worthy album? Yes. Answer yes. Agreed with Waterman and confirm though a Chicago-based friend of mine, that the lead singer was obsessed with the 80s at the time. Danger Rock Science even sounds more 80s than Heartbeat City. Wow. Well, now I want to hear this thing. If it's, I did not expect that to go in such a new wave direction. That's crazy. I don't remember liking the second album that much. I, I have it. And um, I, I think the story behind that is they re-recorded it in order to put it out. But the actual original album is still sitting in the Capitol Oh, got it. Um, and so they re-recorded it and it came out, I don't know, what did you say? Se- se- how many years later? Seven, seven years after seven, this yeah. one. Yeah, and I remember being kind of like very surprised, you know, because I, I I think when I saw it, I was shocked that I it was out. Again, I think I found it in a, you know, in one of the bins where the re- you know reviewers would resell their CDs back in the day uh, in the city. And um I was shocked. And when I put it on, I think I was even more shocked. You know, I don't, I don't, it was nothing like the first album. So I might have to revisit it with everybody or at least a couple of people saying that they enjoy it just as much, but in a different way. But uh, I don't remember liking it too much upon first listen. Gotcha. Uh, Willie Dillon says, sounds like there's some pretty good stuff here. The song Francis Scott Key kind of reminds me of Poster Children and they coincidentally also formed in Champaign-Urbana. Gavin said, I missed the vote, but enjoyed this album. I'm happy to call it a worthy album that I'm unlikely to revisit. <laughs> that is a that is a legit category, I believe. Uh, I like this record, but I'm probably not going to listen to it again because <laughs> there's so much music. There's so much music. <laughs> it's, it's so true. I mean, there's so many yeah. records that I'm like, oh, this is a great record. I'm going to buy it to make sure I have it in my collection and then never listen to it again. <laughs> Because I got to listen to something new right now. Uh, Let's get into this record, Menthol by Menthol. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about this album. This is a very unique sound to me. When I break it down, I think the pieces and parts are familiar. I hear that Smashing Pumpkins hum guitar sound. Um, Kind of that 90s um, Chicago heavy fuzz really compressed uh minor riffs uh you know pretty uh interesting at times you know uh intricate little licks here and there uh big chords you know kind of what you would expect from you know maybe a smashing pumpkins home record um but over top of it are melodies that are more, I would say, in the super chunk kind of place. Um, they have, you know, pretty solid hooks. Um, and from a songwriting standpoint, you know, they tend to be more, 
I guess less dark, you know, I mean, there is some darkness here, but they, they feel more pop song oriented, like structures than maybe like a hums, you know, record would, but it's all put together in a way that's, um, really unusual the so usually uh, with bands that have guitars that sound like this you'd expect the guitar to be like really loud in your face and the vocal to kind of be just creaking through but this record is not mixed like that which makes it very different uh it it's very vocal forward and it's also very snare drum forward so you end up with uh, a lot of focus on the dynamics of the rhythm of the vocal and the in the snare drum uh quite a bit and then there's like the guitar kind of intermingled in there so it just creates this really interesting experience where you're pulled into the rhythm of the vocal and and pulled along the songs um with that as your main focus which is you know very wordy uh and a lot of movement so it's a bit of a roller coaster uh, of a record to listen to musically, um, which is good. I think it's kind of it, it makes it fun. You don't know where they're going to turn, where they're going to go, and I think along the way, you stumble on some legit earworms. I mean, there's some hooks on this record that I found myself, you know, immediately walking around the house, kind of singing in my head. Uh, stress is the best is a good example all I have to show and sell shame right shotgun walking around 17 running out of luck. like and then i started to realize what he's saying in that song it's like oh that's probably not something i want to sing out loud <laughs> but super hooky very memorable um so it's this interesting journey of like this vocal pulling you through the record not quite sure where it's going and how it's going to twist and turn and then all of a sudden you just stumble upon these little these little gems, these little phrases and melodies and moments that are really unique, magical, distinctive, memorable. Um, so it's a, it's a really, and it, it gives the more you listen to it too. I, I think initially, like I was pulled in sonically cause it was so unique, but then as I spent more time with it, like the complexity of the, you know, all the words and the rhythms and just how unconventional it can be at times it starts to make more and more sense you know i think first couple of listens there's some moments on the record you're like i don't know what's going on right now or what's going to happen or and then after you listen to it a couple of times you start to like digest it and process it uh so it gives the more you listen to it as well 
So that's what I liked about it. What about you, Tim? Well, I'm glad that you also keyed in on his vocals because I think he could give Craig Finn from the Hold Steady a run for like (laughs) amount of words per song. Yeah, because it's 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 a really fascinating, and I'm sure I'm not sure I still have my I still like kind of have wrapped my head around some of his phrasing and melodies and it's so bizarre at times because it's so rapid fire and i'm like is this singing or talking it's singing yeah. i mean there's like a melody there but it's it's especially with usa capable and and the the first half of the record in a lot of places gets really wordy we got the message coming down the line they needed love on the man they had a master plan that's backed by i don't know i don't know what they were selling at chicago record or um music stores but man that guitar tone is like you said it's like very chicago illinois yeah. champagne hum poster children uh smashing pumpkins like usa capable there's a part where it's like dun 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 dun, dun. it is the beginning of cherub rock yeah <laughs> and it's the same tone too which is yep. the crazy part. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know if they just, if they threw that in there. Well, this is 95. So when did Siamese dream come out? Was that 94? Cause Gish came out. Well, Gish yeah. was out in 81 or I mean 91. So yeah. Or maybe it was yeah 94. So I don't know. I don't know if they threw it in there or it was just a coincidence, but there's a lot of really cool guitar things happening. And there's a lot of weird, lead parts that i think it's um dry heaves that lead guitar part sounds like run through the jungle but like kind of twisted yeah and and like did they do that on purpose to mess with people because this is a very like aware band i mean he's doing a lot of stuff with the lyrics it's very yeah you know thoughtful in terms of what he's saying even though i mean saying a ton of stuff but he's there's some really interesting things happening lyrically so i gotta wonder if like he's also playing guitar is he uh knowingly throwing that in that little run through the jungle esque riff just for fun yeah um but you know like i said i don't know what what was happening with chicago but the guitar's tone yeah the drums are the, the snare is a little loud but um the drums are the drums are very crisp and up in the mix yeah and um it's just like a cool overall sound musically i totally get that i'm still trying to figure out what he's doing vocally for some of these songs though (laughs) 
I, I think what's so interesting is like most bands, again, most bands with this type of sound, I mean, just say the pumpkins, like at least on the earlier records, his vocal was not super high in the mix. I mean, hum is vocal is pretty buried um, relatively. It's so interesting to me that there's this much going on drum and guitar wise. Uh, yet they have the vocal at the forefront, which I think was the right decision because it it makes it definitely unique. Like it well, does not sound like the at, at on the surface when you first listen to it, you don't necessarily think of those bands. It takes you a minute to kind of right. process. Oh yeah, that's a guitar tone from Pumpkins, and that's a yeah those drums I could hear. You know, kind of sound like home, and like you start to put the pieces together later. And I think your shout out of super chunk is accurate because i also hear some archers of loaf mm, in some of yeah. it in that like north carolina indie sound with you know occasionally with the song structures and and sounds but also with the way that he's singing there's a lot of like almost like anti-pop with yeah. the vocal like yeah they're catchy earworms yeah. but they're also like so dense it's 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 like it's like reading infinite jest at times which i only made it 60 pages into and then quit uh and i I don't even know what happened in those first 60 pages there's like tennis or something anyway uh yeah it's a crazy listen if you're not sure what you're you're expecting because you're like this guy is talking a lot (laughs) uh what works best for you eric um well, I mean, I, I think, I mean, much, much of what you guys were saying, I think, is, is also the appeal to me. But I, I, I like most of the albums <clears throat> of this sort that I really appreciate, you think you're in for one thing with the first song. And then by, you know, by as quick as the second, th- you know, and third song, you realize that that you're not sure what you're going to get delivered from song to song. And I really like albums like that, um, you know not where it's completely off the rails like you know each song is you know so musically different but this band sounds like it's still the same band and yet they go from that that quick crunch of usa capable which always kind of reminded me of like super grass mixed with material issue you know um you know especially like the first album super grass like caught by the fuzz and that kind of stuff i always and that came out the same year and i think i listened to those that song and this song, you know, USA Capable, kind of often in the same uh, in the same sit down. But um, you know, as soon as you get into things like like dry heaves and stress is best, then by the time you end with you know uh, or towards the end with perfect spirals, which is my favorite song. And all the uglies in the stands, they were captivated by his evil spell.
there's just so much that you've heard that, and it's all to me top notch. I mean, the playing is great. I really like the singing a lot, and and just the the language and the, and the lyrics that he's using. I, I, you know, a song about Francis Scott Key. I, I have not heard that before <laughs> or since. You know, that's, I love that song. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, and then to just put in the same album to get a song talking about Francis Scott Key and not in like an Iron Maiden historical perspective way, but you know, as if you're in the room while he's you know composing, uh, you know, and then ending with again towards the end with pearls, which I think is. I've I've read online some people can't figure out if that is a ironic dig at you know um, jock culture and jock mentality or if it's really an earnest you know almost you know when you watch the end of Rocky kind of Rocky esque like this is the kind of internal fortitude you need to pull a victory from the hand you know from the jaws of defeat uh, kind of song. I, I tend to think the latter. I find it a very inspiring song. Um, but, you know, I just think in its totality to go from a place of USA Capable to a place of, you know, Perfect Spirals is just wonderful. And, and I never get tired of listening to the album. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of diversity from song to song. I was looking, you know, Frank, you mentioned Francis Scott Key. That, like repetitive arpeggio guitar riff. I mean, that could be, that could have been a Sunny Day Real Estate riff that's happening on that song. And whereas uh, one of the, maybe, is it Briefcase Cool of Cash? The, the riff on that song, that's got, that's got very hum vibe. The way that hum would use the clean guitar, you know, you know, at the beginning of of stars, people know, but they use it a lot on that record, and then would have this like crushing fuzz on top of that. Um, that it, it doesn't ever get that fuzzy, but there's definitely some some good fuzz going on here. It's never it's never like the insane wall of sound that they would get to on like downward is heavenward. But yeah, it doesn't kind of swallow you. It's more uh, riffy and faster, and I don't know more compressed and punchy word hum yeah would just be like at some point we just engulf you <laughs> right exactly <laughs> we just swallow the frequencies but a lot uh, of that i think is the mix too you know I, I don't think this this album's even mixed in a way that could ever that could even happen i'd be curious to hear this band live to see well especially as a three-piece like yeah, maybe pulling this off there i mean because there there are some interesting guitar riffs happening with him singing over top of them and he's not holding one note yeah when he's singing so i mean i would be curious to, to look up some live footage to see how they pulled that off because that's having sang and played guitar at the same time and you as well it's not easy to play quick changing notes and riffs while also spitting out vocals which may not be at the same rhythm of, of what right. you're playing on guitar uh so is there anything on this record that doesn't work for you jay the there's some some attempts here at i guess harmonies and usually if you listen to this podcast a lot you you know i usually call that out as something i like this is one of the few cases where i don't like it 
I don't know if they're harmonies or doubles. I don't know what you call them, but there's two distinct voices. I think they're both the same person, but singing in different tones. And I think with them being so upfront and with the way that the mix is and how wordy they are and how like locked in when they are with the guitar riffs sometimes, I find it distracting and difficult to kind of get into the songs. Um, a good example would be like Bedheaded, Red-Eyed, and Bewildered. Um, I just found myself like those two voices like and, and everything going on in the front of the mix kind of just bouncing around. And I was like, just trying to figure out like, where's the melody here uh, in certain moments of that song? Um, same thing with the regime castrados, um, even wild, wild, wild eyed alpha males. I found difficult from that aspect, um, to get everything out of it. Briefcase, briefcase full of cash is an example where they do it, but it, Maybe because the guitars are louder. They're just, I don't know why. It seems to work okay having the double vocal. fine line uh, where it's just a one element too much to me sometimes and it, it just makes it a little harder to get into the songs and to find the melody and find like what is the core of what's going on here where's and then to be able to remember it the next time um so these harm the harmonies are the 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 two vocals dual dual vocal thing doesn't always work for me anything not work for you tim um i feel like you know there's some busyness that happens with the vocals at times i wish was just a little less i think it's a really cool approach um i wish it was pickier in some respects because like the opening track usa capable that's a really cool song but he gets like the jump from the verse to the chorus is so jarringly quick um that I didn't even realize like what was happening the first time or two that I was listening to it. I had to like kind of go back and be like, okay, what break this sound down and what is, what is going on where? Yeah. Um, that's my own real complaint. I would, there are times where I was like, I wish there was another guitar player <laughs> just uh, yeah. fill in a couple spots here and there. Um, I know they, they threw in some keyboards on a couple songs, Brad Wood, the producer, um, of this record he plays keyboards on bedheaded red-eyed and bewildered as well as perfect spirals um i could just i could just hear that you know bradwood worked with brook assault and they were a two guitar band i could have heard especially that first brook assault record there's some cool stuff that goes on between 
the two guitars and I would just kind of wish there was some a little bit happening there. I feel like there especially with this band you could do some really cool dissonant leads that would have yeah, been interesting. So that's really it though. It was just more stuff Maybe that I was missing that I and was bothering me. Maybe swap out some of the some of the lines that are the busy vocal and maybe instead have a second guitar. Or have a second guitar that's like playing off of that vocal in some yeah. way. Yeah. You know, I don't need them to be using a talk box and like <laughs> like Joe Perry or, or <laughs> Joe Walsh or something, but or Peter Frampton. I also wanted to mention in the ragtime castrados he gets very close to anthony kiedis land there <laughs> in terms of the way he <laughs> sings uh so that's kind of spoken rhythmic delivery goes from being kind of a super chunk on lots of cocaine into <laughs> instead into like anthony kiedis land where you're like uh this guy's like i don't know kind of sounds like muttering and can't really sing very well so that's just an example of like where that style can kind of not work totally for me either i'll have to go back and try and hear that (laughs) (laughs) is there anything that doesn't work for you eric on this record um i don't i don't know that any of it doesn't really work i mean the you know probably the um Right in the you know right in the middle with the the bedheaded red eyed and bewildered song that probably is the weakest song for me, but you know it's not it's not such a deal breaker that that you know I I don't think I've ever stopped the album at that point or even skipped over the track you know again I, this is another one of those albums that I actually think is fairly uh, is sequenced fairly well uh, you know that I can leave every song on from start to finish. Um, you know, regardless of whether or not I really like it as an album, you know, I think I would say that either way, it's, you know, some albums you can just appreciate for the fact that the songs seem to flow well one into the other, but that's probably the weakest song for me. But then I think it it picks back up again fairly quickly and ends really strong, you know, almost as strong as it started, but again, in a very different way with a very different kind of sound, uh, sounding couple of songs there at the end. So, um, and I, and I, I don't think I would swap out any of the vocals for more guitar. I think it has, you know, I, I think I like the uniqueness of, of all that wordplay and, and the subject matter. Uh, you know, I, again, it's, it's a very unique um, album in, in the way that the, uh, the song structure and, and the subject matter uh, from song to song goes. So I, I don't think I would want to lose any of that. And it's a tight record. It's only 41 minutes. The songs are between 242 and 442. So everything is like basically in the three something range. There's a couple under three minutes, a couple over four minutes. Um, but, you know, and it's surprising to hear you say that. I don't think I've ever quite paid attention to the overall song length, but there's many of the songs have so much going on musically that, you know, you almost feel as if it's the longer song because they pack a lot of right. sound into just a handful of minutes. <clears throat> Yeah, I I definitely think that that's why, uh, I, you know, somebody mentioned about having fatigue about halfway through. Um, I could hear that. I could hear how, like, because there's so many lyrics and so, such so much is happening in a short period of time, you could get, you know, a little worn out if you're not, especially if you're not, you know, familiar with the band. 
you going into this cold. Or um, a fan of that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this came out in, in 95, as mentioned, uh, and USA Capable was the single pushed. But other than college, we probably had this in the stack at our, our rec- at our radio station in college. That's probably how Jay and I both recognize it. And then maybe seeing the album in the cutout bin at uh, <laughs> at the at the record store. Um, but honestly, looking at that cover, like I wouldn't know what this is. That could be an Aphex Twin cover album. That could be, <laughs> right. yeah. you know, that could be anything. Right. It is not, it is not distinctive. And especially with when you put the barcode on the front, like a lot of time that's dance music is my is what my mind is like oh this is a compilation of like club hits <laughs> mr vane <laughs> this is like that gonna be that kind of stuff um that was the first time mr vane has ever been mentioned on the podcast <laughs> by the way for those who attended who went to the clubs in the 90s you'll know what that song is um but i can't see this this was not breaking through at commercial radio Unless there was an amazing video to go with it, like a Spike Jones video or something. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't see in 95 when you have like Alanis Morissette and Bush and Green Day are the big hits. Well, well I think it. I think it's closer than maybe you you think it is. I think stress is best could be. Unfortunately, the subject matter and the lyrics and the song, it can't be. Um. I think Francis Scott Key is like almost spongy, at least like vocally. Like I could hear it, you know, it's, it's probably missing just a little bit of a tuning here and there. Maybe you've tightened up a song or changed some lyrics or like a production twist away from maybe one of these songs in 95 being able to be, you know, on the radio. There'd have to be like a Tom Lord LG remix. <laughs> you know what I mean? Single remix for to get an, a single version out of one of these songs. Because not that they're bad. It, I just don't see it. Like 95 commercial radio is such a different beast than like 93 when maybe this would have had a chance. But who knows? Um, I, think, I think what you originally said is, is probably more spot on. It, it, it needed a... It needed a, a video, you know, before before the radio. It needed a video, you know, done by, like you said, Spike Jones or somebody. It needed like a Weezer type video treatment, you yeah. know, and and then that would have carried it onto the radio because the video would have caught people's attention and made them appreciate what was going on, you know. Yep. Well, let's get over. Let me look at Patreon. Let's see. The voting has closed. So we'll get to the final results of our Patreon poll in a moment. But Jay, where do you land on this record? Were the album better EP or decent single? I'm landing at a worthy album. I think even the songs I was critical of, uh, I suspect that they will grow on me. And I think they're, you know, close enough to the rest of the record that. Uh, you know, they're not like a huge leap. They're just a little bit more challenging, I think. Uh, so there's really only three songs on here that I kind of flagged as like, eh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but the other whatever's left there, nine, uh, I think are really solid and interesting. And not only that 
you know, did I find myself immediately, like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, walking around the house singing in my head, but with every listen, getting into them more and more. So this is a fun listen. If you're into this, all the bands we talked about that Chicago kind of guitar sound in the mid nineties, um, and looking for more, more things like that with a little bit of its, its own twist. I definitely think it's a worthy album to check out. So I was just counting. I'm like real close between an EP and an <laughs> album. Um, I'm going to go with a better EP. My tracks would be USA Capable, Dry Heaves, Francis Scott Key, Stress is Best, um, Reverent, Briefcase, Honor Bound, Perfect spot. Is that give me that's eight? That's a very big EP. Oh, that's a, that's an album. Okay, I changed that. It's eight. So that, I'll make that a worthy album. Eight songs, four per side, 70s album. Probably like 30 something minutes. So I'm at, I'm at a worthy album as well. There were a couple other songs. That I, there, I, there were some songs I felt like they did an interesting thing and then they did that interesting thing over and over again. And I, they didn't evolve as much as I was hoping, other than they kicked on a distortion pedal at some point. Um, but I think there's a really interesting and weird record here in a lot of ways, even though it's within the format of what something we're very familiar with, with this three piece, you know, guitar combo. Um, it's, it's a weird combination of, a, of sort of Chicago and Chapel Hill at the same time, which is interesting. I don't think we've heard that before. So it's got like the heaviness of Chicago with some of the more. It's very um, 1995, isn't it? Oh yeah, it is super 1995. <laughs> it's like take everything of 90, 1995 indie rock and jam it on a record. Yeah, this is this is not in any way, shape, or form going to be confused for like an 80s or a 2000s record. Like no. this is, and not that it's like a production thing. It's just these elements make it very very distinct of yeah. where it's from so eric to you oh well <laughs> i mean it's obvious but yeah de- uh, definitely a, a worthy album um again this is this is one of those albums that i i gift to people left and right uh you know or at least until it wound up on on streaming and um and i'm happy to do so you know because i really think it's uh and, and like you said very indicative of its time uh, you know, it, only I think in the '90s, which is which is, I think part and parcel of the success of of your uh, operation here. You know, there's so much music that that in the '90s could have only happened in the '90s. You know, uh, there was almost a um, it was like the last hurrah for having a particular sort of freedom to do almost anything you wanted to do. You know, within the confines of of your sound and uh, and I think this album is a great example of that, you know, um, in fact, you know, last year's pick of, of hash and then this album this year, th- those two albums, uh, again, are, are some of the ones that I return to often and try and, you know, push onto people as often as I can. So, uh, definitely, uh, a worthy album. So two records that are probably now not easy to find in stores to in order to gift to people. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. 
Right. And and that hash album isn't on streaming platforms at all. So uh, this one is a little easier to send a link to now, at least. Right. But, but but still, you know, in keeping with the time that it came out in, I would rather hand somebody a CD. <laughs> well, our voters at Patreon, they were on board. 75% went with a worthy album. 25% went with a better EP. And I think that was reflected in the in the comments. Um, I think out of the comments we got, like four out of the six of them were were better out or uh, were the album. So that's not surprising. So Eric, thank you for coming back and joining us and and sharing this record with the folks. Um, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, and it, and Jay and I have been staring at it for over a decade, waiting to get to it. <laughs> so. <laughs> looking at those awesome. i don't know if those us. are supposed to be marbles or just drops of liquid metal on the cover but yeah yeah i, I guess in my head i always i don't know what yeah they always look like pinballs or i guess they could be little little faces they're menthol they molecules <laughs> yeah is that what it is or do you just make that up i don't know no, you son of a all right well if you want to suggest an album like eric did you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com or uh or sorry digmeoutunion.com or dig or dmounion.com that's where you go to sign up for patreon join the union you can start at just two bucks a month get to vote in the polls like this one also for our monthly album selection polls three rounds of nine followed by a finale of six the last week of the month and that picks from our hopper albums coming in every day at digmeoutpodcast.com uh it's it's never ending even though we're chopping away at this pile it's still growing so uh we will never have an issue with regards to albums being entered into our polls if you uh if you enjoy new music, we cover that as well with the box newsletter. Every week we have a calendar and list of new releases of 80s and 90s relevant music, movies, books, TV shows, documentary uh documentaries, etc. plus two new uh or two reviews of new releases. Uh we call them our 1 minute reviews. That's every week at the box newsletter, which can be delivered to your email inbox or read over at Patreon. And finally, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at podcast over at Apple podcasts. Almost forgot the Apple there Uh, for JM Tim. We're out and we'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. Dig me out.